very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, don't forget, we want to really welcome you home. And if you want to listen to tonight's full interview, all you have to do is subscribe and you'll get your login immediately and we'll have access to hundreds of hours of truth. And if you want to upgrade your life, then head on over to sanitasradio.com and listen to what we have to offer there. And if you want to contact me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a suggestion, or just simply have some feedback, I always love to hear from you. Click on the contact button of our website. Tonight's guest will offer an original theory of the nature of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities and their practical uses from a non-supernatural point of view. This topic is on the cutting edge of the heated battle between spirituality and science. The findings are the outgrowth of his 45-year investigation, both as a professional observer of some of his synchronicity-prone psychoanalytic patients, as well as his own intimate experiences with these intellectually challenging and emotionally powerful occurrences. Rather than viewing these perplexing events as coded quote-unquote messages from some transcendent realm of spiritual reality, he concludes that meaningful coincidences are the surface manifestations of an individual's unique creative process, accommodating the best available resolution of a problem for a person initially feeling quote-unquote stuck in a seemingly intractable dilemma. His name is Dr. Gibbs A. Williams, PhD, a psychoanalyst practicing in New York. His choice of profession is an outgrowth of three major interests philosophy, deaf psychology, and spirituality. He received a BA from Columbia University, majoring in philosophy, an MS in psychology from Yeshiva University, and a PhD from New York University. He is militantly opposed to the quote-unquote quick-fix mentality in our nation, that mentality that tends to believe that normal feelings like anxiety and depression are to be suppressed or dismissed entirely instead of translating their messages for personal well-being. Gibbs is a passionate in his conviction, and that significant change is possible, but it takes persistent hard work and a willingness to struggle with struggle. His new book is titled Demystifying Meaningful Coincidences or Synchronicities, The Evolving Self, The Personal Unconscious, and The Creative Process. And he joins us directly from New York City. Hello, Dr. Williams, and welcome to Veritas. Hello, Mel. Glad to be uh, on. 
glad to have you. This is one of those topics that we discuss all the time. And to have somebody who has experienced this for, for, in your case, for yourself, and also you've had some of your patients also, it's, it's very important to discuss it. But, you know, as I said before in other programs, sometimes we have two radio programs. And what you said, what I said, actually, during the intro, at the end of the intro, when you talk about being militantly opposed to the quick fix mentality, I don't want to digress from our topic here tonight, but the quick fix mentality, that really struck me because right now there's a pill for everything. Instead of us allowing those, our bodies and our minds to, to perhaps heal, Sometimes I understand that sometimes you need a little bit of help, but we seem to have that Band-Aid mentality. What do you think that is? Well, I've been thinking a lot about that. I'm inclined to think that uh, since we are pleasure-seeking mammals, which is understandable, we try to maximize pleasure and we try to get rid of pain. And I think, unfortunately, through um, propaganda and drug companies, and politicians, and all sorts of quasi-authorities, we've been filled with a lot of propaganda that there is a thing called perfection, and that there's unlimited pleasure, and that that problems do exist, but they have to have instant, immediate answers, so that feelings such as anxiety, stress, depression, and frustration, mainly, although there are a bunch of others, are really treated as if, um, well, the drug companies will call them chemical imbalances. And of course they're chemically imbalanced, but the idea is not to just rebalance them through another drug. The idea is to accept their inevitability, and they all have to do with realistic limitations, which I think is not, it's a dirty word, limitations. We're not supposed to have limitations. Uh, look at the um, campaign that's going on right now. Uh, greatness which seems to be uh, a, uh, equated with um, uh, onward and great progress and, in fact, no pain. There is pain. And the key to success, it seems to me, is teaching kids how to bear increasing dosages of those four things, anxiety, depression, frustration, and stress, and without the need for medication. So meaningful coincidences or synchronicities, they have been with us since, correct me if I'm wrong, since the dawn of time. But who was the first to study this phenomenon scientifically? And what, was, what were the results? Uh, the first to study it scientifically is probably the philosopher Schopenhauer. Uh, perhaps there's others ahead of him, but he had a really good uh, take on this thing in which he, um, gee, I wish... Would you give me a second, and I will give you a fantastic quote? Sure. If I can get him real quick. It's a brilliant quotation. Coincidence is the simultaneous occurrence of causally unconnected events. If we visualize each causal chain progressing in time as a meridian on the globe, then we may represent simultaneous events by the parallel circles of latitude. All the events in a man's life would accordingly stand in two fundamentally different kinds of connection. Firstly, in the objective causal connection of the natural process. Secondly, in a subjective connection which exists only in relation to the individual who experiences it, and which is thus as subjective as his own dreams, whose unfolding content is necessarily determined 
but in the manner in which the scenes in a play are determined by the poet's plot. That both kinds of connection exist simultaneously, and the self-same event, although a link in two totally different chains, nevertheless falls into place in both, so that the fate of one individual invariably fits the fate of another, and is the hero of his own drama, while simultaneously figuring in a drama foreign to him. This is something that surpasses our powers of comprehension and can only be conceived as possible by virtue of the most wonderful pre-established harmony. It is a great dream dreamt by that single entity, the will to life, but in such a way that all his personae must participate in it. Thus, everything is interrelated and mutually attuned. Very interesting, because that, that to me, when the part of interrelated, and I know some people have a problem with this, the connection between science and spirituality. Do you think that synchronicities bridge that gap? Yes, but not in the way that seems to be uh, uh, bandied around now. And what I'm talking about is the whole um, uh, theory of quantum entanglement and the idea that everything's connected and, uh, you know, vibrations and so forth. You know all of that stuff. I think that is a very compelling and interesting theory that has zero to do with my view of synchronicities. Now, doctors Carl Jung and, and, Sigmund, and Sigmund Freud both studied this phenomenon. Did they find common ground? Uh, did they find common ground? Uh, no. And as a matter of fact, a, a super coincidence by or a synchronicity, if anybody you know, really wants to follow the history of this, is in 1905, uh, uh, Freud invited Jung uh, to his library, uh, and th they had a incredible coincidence that occurred. At the time, Jung was the heir apparent to um, the psychoanalytic society, which Freud founded and was going to make him the... Um, the next is like vice president to make elevate him to the presidency. There's only one problem. Jung was increasingly uh, more interested in occult studies and was very excited this particular occasion when they met to indicate to Freud that he really thought he had uh, evidence that a phenomenon that he called exteriorization phenomena uh, was real and that uh, he was very excited about it. Freud, um, although exceedingly interested in paranormal um, uh, issues, as a matter of fact, said that if he had his life to do over again, he probably would have been a uh, paranormalist. In any event, he's listening to Jung going on, and he's very much admired him and his enthusiasm for occult studies. But as Jung is talking, uh, Freud is beginning to have the feeling that he's straying from uh, the uh, basic ideas that Freud had, and Freud issued him a warning and said, look, do me a favor. Don't get stuck in the mud of occultism. At which point, uh, Jung, 25 years younger, uh, felt patronized by Freud, and they already had a major difference in what they thought was basic to uh, human behavior, Freud being uh, sexuality and Jung being spirituality, and Jung got very angry and he was, uh, everything he could do to not express his displeasure at Freud's uh, rebuke. 
At which point, as he's talking about this exteriorization phenomena, there's a sudden clap, a very loud clap of noise in the library. And both of them were startled and they said, what is that? And Jung says, that is an example of what I'm talking about. And Freud says, bosh, that's nonsense. Would you please, you know, get back to reality and be grounded? <laughs> this is silliness. Yeah. At which point, Jung describes in his autobiography that his chest began to glow like a uh, red vault. Uh, translation, he was really angry. And he said, it, 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 spontaneously, in effect, oh, yeah, you think so? What's well, going to happen again? And it happened again. And both Freud and Jung were extremely impressed. Freud was so impressed that in letters to Jung, and they're really interesting, even months later, he's trying to figure out what in the hell is that all about? So that was really a major coincidence, which in fact was the beginning also of a major disruption between the two of them. And in effect, uh, Freud uh, fired Jung, and Jung uh, proceeded for the next three years to have a major breakdown. And in his breakdown, he uh, went into his self, as many uh, famous psychologists do, literally having breakdowns. And since nothing works, they have to reinvent uh, a cure for themselves. And out of that came the Red Book and his own brand of psychoanalysis. It's called a creative illness. But that event was extraordinarily important. But you would think that that event could have actually united them more, not separated them because it happened not only once but twice. Isn't that the burden of proof in, in, in well, science? Well, yes, except that one of the reasons why I love this subject, and I've been studying it for 50 years, is that the Freud-Jung differences are really part of a, of a philosophical uh, battleground that's been going on way before them in the form of uh, philosophical uh, first assumptions about the nature of reality and how we know reality, Uh, capped off by Plato, on the one hand, who's essentially Jungian, or Jung is mm -hmm. essentially plat Platonic, and Aristotle, which is Freud, and those are the two uh, poles of science and spirituality. So Freud being more in the camp of science, uh, while he was impressed, he also didn't stop his critical thinking, And tried. To, he he said, "Look, this you know this is really odd. However, there must be some kind of scientific explanation." Well, it was summertime, and he was out in his library, uh, weeks or months after he had this experience with Jung, and a periodically he would hear the same snapping sound, and he said, "What what is this all about?" And he deduced that the weather, the summer weather, had dried out boards in his uh, library. And when they uh, reached critical mass, they would snap and they would make uh, that sound. Of course, what, what still didn't, what's still interesting is the exquisite timing that happened. Why did this thing happen right at a point where, you know, Jung was really upset and seemed to validate his point? And, and Freud uh, concluded, well, coincidence would happen. It was very timely for Jung to have that occur, uh, but that he doesn't think that there's any particular uh, mystery to it other than good timing. Coincidences are sometimes coincidences. So that what, so that in effect, he, Freud being Freud, used his critical thinking to try to understand the so-called a causality of this mysterious event. And Jung being Jung, 
uh, really felt that um, critical thinking beyond a certain point is really stultifying, and he went the way of uh, so-called spirituality. When I hear of these stories, for example, I interviewed Dr. Kirby Surprise a few years ago. He wrote a book on synchronicities, and he was telling me of of his story. So you know him. So he was telling me of his story of when he was younger. I think he decided to park his car at a neighborhood and started looking at a house. And then with his mind, he thought, I want to demolish that house with my mind. All of a sudden, the house demolished it itself. And he just couldn't believe what he saw. But in reality, there was a, a tractor behind the house demolishing the house, and he didn't see it, but it happened at the same time. Now, this is really, this is good. This is the kind of stuff I like to hear, because on the surface, if you just take the surface events, some of these things are absolutely amazing. There's no question about it. However, my contribution is you can study these things scientifically by keeping a journal, not a diary, a journal of whatever is meaningful to you and date it. And you will find and then also date coincidences that occur. If you put the date of the coincidence along with whatever journal material you have, you will supply psychological and sociological uh, and historical context. If you look at the context out of which any synchronicity comes, my experience is that it's always triggered by an initial problem which seems to um, uh, be um, unable to be resolved. And if you have an attitude that you're going to try to resolve it no matter what, then you start what I think is a psychological scavenger hunt in which you're looking for clues to give you the answer to the problem, and it's often unconscious. Bottom line, I think, it's, I think it stimulates a person's uh, uh, idiosyncratic uh, creative process. And clues are amassed, and they're sort of like, um, uh, I can't think of the word, um, pieces of a uh, complicated jigsaw puzzle. And when you have, you make the boundary and you fit the pieces in, and when the pe- there are enough pieces, it'll, it'll, uh, uh, it'll show up as a pattern. And once that, that pattern will take the form of a coincidence and still has to be interpreted, and you interpret it like a waking dream. And when you do, there is always an intimate connection between the uh, pattern, the synchronicity, and the problem that, it, that can be identified in the person's uh, life. Now, using his as an example, I have found that most of the issues that surround uh, synchronicities have to do with mixed feelings of love and hate called ambivalence, ambivalence. And that often the aggressive part is repressed, and when it comes out, it's often um, disguised in various forms, and just right off the top without really understanding you know, his particular thing. Uh, I, I, I would think that uh, if, you were, if he was able to tell you what the, the uh, context was, he would tell you he was very angry about some relationship, past or present, and that he had very aggressive feelings that he may or may not have been conscious about. And it is not unusual to take something like fires or bombs or whatever and project, you know, have all sorts of feelings about them. And it just happened to be coincidentally that he had that kind of experience, and the thing blew up. I had a patient who uh, tried this. A patient whose earliest memory was at four years old, five years old, and he had a brother, too. 
and he hated um, he hated being alive, and he had a very bad relationship with his family, he couldn't, and he certainly couldn't stand the competition of his brother. He he built a very tall. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.